0: All right, good morning, everybody. we we'll grab our seats here. It feels good to see everybody in the same room. And it's good to, that as you look beside you, you can see each other's faces. And I'm, I'm so thrilled about this new season for us. We're still in the process of trying to learn and figure out and adjust all these things and uh uh <laughs> it feels very weird that my sound is coming from behind me. <laughs> it it definitely threw me off, like as I said good morning, I was like, who's who's saying that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that that's that's weird. Sound team, can we do something about that? <laughs> all right. New season, new things. New seasons means that we are entering into a new place for the church. It's the same people, um, but new location. Same church, same community, but different mission. This new season... I really wanted to take the time, and as we were preparing for the move and all that kind of stuff, I, I, I chose this new kind of series before we even knew we were going to move, but I just feel like as we got into that season of, hey, we need to move, this series became even s- that much more important for us. It became a a confirmation that, okay we're heading into the right direction. And this new season, we're heading into the book of Romans. And for those that know the book of Romans, it's a heavy book. The book of Romans is one of the pinnacle books of of the Bible Uh, next to the gospels of, of the story of Jesus, where the Old Testament leads into the gospel and the New Testament is the church. The book of Romans is unique. In so many ways, the the book of Romans have inspired so many theologians because the book of Romans defines who we are as a church. And so in this new season, I'm so excited about going into the book of Romans because our church is not defined by our location. It's not defined by our building, but it's, befi- it's defined by who you guys are and who we are together as a community. Oftentimes, when we look at the church and we see a lot of people that call themselves Christians, from the outside, This sometimes looks rather confusing to people that don't belong to the church. It's confusing and sometimes it's even polarizing from the messages that they hear. You see, the church looks divided because in many ways our church today is divided. We're divided in the way that we do things, the emphasis that we focus on, the theology that separates us. We're divided by the denominations because the church can't seem to agree on what is right and what is wrong. And this is where the book of Romans comes in so perfectly. Because when, the, when this letter was written, the Roman church was going through some of the similar things. The Roman church had places that they disagreed with as well. And so this letter that was written helped grounded the church. In so many ways, it helps grounds who we are as a church today. But before we get into that, let's pray. Father, as we come before you today, we ask for your spirit to be with us. Lord, we just ask for your Holy Scripture to just continue to reveal more of who you are and to teach us and to transform us to be your holy people. So Lord, we come humbly before you today in worship and in awe of your great love for us. And for all this in Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Romans chapter 1. I'm going to go through verses 1 to 17, but where I'm going to focus primarily on verses 1 to 7 and then 16 and 17. So if you have your Bibles or your smartphones, please pull those up. I, uh, you know what, I'm gonna, we're going to read through the, the, the passage. I wasn't planning to do this, but let's read through the passage first. It says this, Paul. A servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God which he promised beforehand through his prophet in the holy scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the word for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. Brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far has been prevented. In order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarian or Gentiles, both to, be th- to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God shall be revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul writes this book, and we know that it's Paul because he introduces himself. And a lot of times when we write letters to each other, oftentimes we, we start with, uh, to so-and-so, to, to Stephanie, and from, at the end of the letter, we, we finish off from John. But Paul, especially in old times, they usually, they used to write letters d- uh, telling you, I'm the writer. So it's easy. So we know Paul wrote the book. It's not, this is not science. It's not uh, anything that we have to dig through to sort out. Paul says, here I am. I'm writing this letter to, to, to the church. When Paul wrote this book, it was at the peak of the Roman Empire. This is when the Roman Empire was the strongest and was, was uh, we all kind of know uh, the stories of, of kind of the gladiators and all those great things. This is the peak of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire had, had um, this unparalleled dominance. It's within the first century A.D., um, the city of Rome was characterized by its grandeur, the impressive architecture, the cultural diversity. It was a place from that from all over the empire converged, bringing with them a multitude of language, beliefs, and customs. So at the, Paul, at the time that Paul wrote this letter to the Roman Empire, the territories of the Roman Empire included the eastern Mediterranean, Asia Minor, North Africa, and parts of Europe. And the city of Rome was this bustling hub of commerce, politics, and culture. So within this bustling metropolis, a diverse Christian community had also emerged that included both Jews and Gentiles. And so because of the fact that this church was compromised of all of these different historically, back like different people, there started to be some conflict. The Jews are like the Gentiles don't follow these things and some of the Gentiles are like those things don't matter. uh, They don't apply to us because we're not Jewish. And so there was all these little things and little disagreements. It's not disagreement on what they believed. The doctrinal aspect of Jesus, everybody agreed on. But it was the, the way that they approached the laws, the way that they, they, they came about uh, together as a church, there was just some confusion. So Paul, here upon hearing this, he decides, I'm going to write a letter to, to, to the Roman church. However, when Paul writes this, Unlike all his other epistles, unlike all the other letters that Paul writes in the New Testament. So if you look at the New Testament, the book of Acts is basically the entire story of the New Testament. And then all the other books behind it is all the letters that fit into the book of Acts. And it it talks about Paul's missionary stages where he goes and how he's sent. And and so the book of Romans is actually written before Paul even went to Rome. Okay, so Paul has never actually been there. He has friends that, are, that, are, that have gone to the Roman church because the Rome was this capital and people are attracted and they're moving there for, whether for, for work or for whatever other reasons. And so Paul knew friends there, but he actually, he himself, has not been there. So this book is unique in a way that Paul is not writing to a group of people that he knows. But it's also unique because Paul is not addressing specific problems. Like if we look at the book of First and Second Corinthians, if we look at Philippians, Ephesians, uh, Galatians, all of these books, Paul writes these letters because Paul had to address uh, certain circumstances that were happening or certain doctrinal beliefs or things uh, that were happening in the church where... Um, Paul's like, no, I need to bring correction to these places. But the book of Romans is not about correction. And if we look at the book of Romans, Rom- Romans is kind of split into four parts, and uh, I'm not going to go through it too much. But if you look at the four parts, it's basically like chapters 1 to 4, uh, 5 to 8, uh, 9 to 11, and then 12 to 16. It's The book of Romans is... It's different in the way that he writes it from all of his other letters. If you look, and a lot of theologians will break the book of Romans into these four parts and talk about it, how it's the four different aspects of of addressing kind of God's wrath, uh, God's grace, um, God's kind of his redemption, uh, but really, if you look at the book of Romans, you have to be able to piece it together. Um, I think the b- best example I could bring you is like a symphony. Okay, like If you think about a symphony, there's different movements, different parts. But yet, it's all part of the same piece. And so Romans is like that. There's four movements. Let's talk about it as four movements. And there is a central thread that goes through the entirety of the book. There's actually several threads that are going through the entirety of the book. And so Romans becomes this this book where theologians could rest on for a very, very long time. We're actually going to be taking this all the way through Christmas. And as I was planning this, I had a hard time divvying up this, the passages because I was like, we could literally go through this for a year and... I feel like we're still getting an overview, and so for me to split this up into to fifteen sermons was incredibly hard. Uh, but I, I I feel like it's right for our season. It's right for for this time, this moment that we have together uh, here at Lord Calvin. It's right for us in in this transition period, and so I wanted to be able to give you guys an overview so that you guys are able to study this book on your own. Right. Yeah. Ultimately, we we. we my encouragement is my, and my hopes is for you to get so intrigued by this book that you want to study it for yourself, that you want to dive deeper, that you want to be like, hey, what else is Paul writing and what else is Paul giving us in this book? If we look at the person of Paul, for those that are new to the church and don't, don't really know who this Paul character is, Paul was a Pharisee. Well, what's a Pharisee? A Pharisee is part of the order of the Jewish tradition. He was one of the teachers of the Jewish traditions. Oftentimes we look at Pharisees and they're like, oh, Pharisees are the bad guys, right? It's like all the, if you grew up in church, you're like, oh, Pharisees, yeah, they're, they're the bad guys. Paul's name was named Saul, okay? Saul, that name means saturated in prayer. It's, it's, a, it's about prayer. He's most likely named after King Saul, who was the first king of, of Israel. Right? And so he was known as Paul of Tar- Saul of Tarsus. But he also had a Roman name, and his Roman name was Paulos, which is where we get the name Paul from. And his Roman name literally means of short stature. So that's your name. Now you know what that means. <laughs> I probably be, should be called Paul. <laughs> Oftentimes we, we have these images of what does Paul look like. Uh, and even for myself, I think he's this like big guy and just extinguished, holds himself together. Uh, the Bible actually doesn't give us any ideas of what Paul looks like. But there is a book, um, It's they call it uh, part of the Apocrypha books, um, that talks about Paul's journey and his missions. And in it, there's a description of Paul. And so it says that Paul is a man of short stature. He had crooked legs. Uh, he had thinning hair. He had a, a hooked nose. And so instead of like, um, like Chris over there, who's tall and big and Mighty like picture, more like a Jason Alexander, like George Costanza type character. Uh, that's Paul, uh, and so Paul isn't this. He he he's this Pharisee, and and he he has this dramatic conversion on his road to the Damascus, where Jesus literally meets him, where Jesus blinds him and just reveals himself and says, this is who I am. Paul was trained under, his, his, his teacher, his rabbi that he was under was very much against the Christians. He was very much against the Christians and Paul probably adopted that and Paul became one of the people that actually uh, martyred a lot of Christians, killed off a lot of Christians that hunted down Christians and really killed them off. And Je- he has this divine encounter with Jesus. Jesus blinds him um, and he has to, all, all of those things. But what ends up happening is Paul gets converted and he becomes one of the biggest missionaries in the, in the New Testament to start off the new church. And so Paul, this is on his third missionary journey that he writes to Rome. He's probably in Corinth is where we're guessing he's in. And he writes to Rome, the, the Roman church. And this letter is just saturated and has the most deep and most compelling description of what the gospel is. And that's why we're going through this book of Romans. Because... In this book, we're going to learn why we exist as a church. In this book, we're going to be grounded, and we're going to find our foundation of what makes us a Christian, what makes us a follower of Jesus Christ. And so, as we open up and, and dig into this book, we see actually... Um, that Paul, like I said, he, he's never been there. He's longing to go there. If You, you, you read in the, from verse uh, 8 to 15. He's like, I thank God for this church because I know you guys are a church that is after Jesus. I thank God for you guys. And I, I, I'm, I'm a fellow Christian with you guys. And I long to be with you, but I can't go there. And eventually when Paul does make it to Rome, Paul doesn't go there as a missionary. He goes there as a prisoner. And Paul actually arrives in Rome in shackles. And so Paul never really got to interact with the Roman church, but he wanted to make sure that the Roman church knew exactly who they were. And so that's why this letter exists. That's why this letter is here. And so let's let's get into it. Verse 1. What does it say? Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul calls himself a servant, and then he uses this term set apart for the gospel of God, right? First, let's define what the gospel is. The gospel, we see it come from this Greek word called uh, euangelon. In Latin is where we find the word evangelium, which we get our word evangelize or evangelical from. And it simply translates as the good news or good telling. And in Old English, it translated to a term called Godspell, which really means good story. And I love that it's this idea of it's a good story. Because our lives is made out of a series of stories. And that we are part of god's story and the story of the gospel is a story of god coming to humanity and that in god's story we are written into it as part of his story and so gospel simply as we put it is basically the teaching or or the revelations of christ the gospel is god bringing us Good news. But some of us might be sitting here today and it's like, okay, great, good news. doesn't really affect me that much. It doesn't affect us because we don't know what the bad news is, right? For th- this news to be good, we actually need to know what the bad news is. And I'm not going to tell you what the bad news is today because you have to come back next week for that. <laughs> All right? So next week, I'll tell you what the bad news is. So if you're new, come back next week. You'll get to hear what the bad news is. But this gospel that Paul says that I, I am a servant to, that I serve this, that I am a slave to, that this is what I'm about. I'm, I'm, I'm a slave to Jesus Christ and set apart for the gospel. Okay? The term set apart is the exact same word and same terminology that the word Pharisee comes from. Okay? Pharisees literally mean to be set apart. The Pharisaical order was that we set apart ourselves for God and we set apart ourselves from people. And so for Paul to use this word set apart, there's significance to it because he himself, like I said, was a Pharisee right? That Paul knows what it means to be set apart. For those that were Pharisees, they went to the extremes. For those that were strict, that when they walk through the streets, oftentimes, these Pharisees will pick up their cloaks and draw it in. And the reason why they did that, and they drew it in tight, was because they didn't want their cloaks to touch any of the Gentiles, just in case it gets contaminated. That's how bad it was. And so this idea of set apart, Paul actually knew what that meant. But what he says is he says, I am set apart for something. The Pharisees were set apart from the rest of the world. But what Paul does is he said, I'm set apart for the gospel. There's a very big distinction there because I feel like the church needs to hear this message, that the church is set apart for the world, not from the world. That as a church, oftentimes, we divide ourselves and we play this versus game. It's us versus the world. It's us against this, us against that, us against the, these certain politics, us against uh, certain, certain ways of living. But the church doesn't talk enough about what we are for. And Paul says that we are for the gospel. Amen? That the church needs to be for something in order for us to know why we exist. And Paul says that we are, that he is set apart for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ's coming. And that's what the church is set apart for, that we are set apart so that we could serve the world, so that we could serve the gospel, so the world may know what the gospel is about. That Jesus came so that humanity could have a relationship with God. So Paul starts off by laying down, this is what I am set apart for. Sometimes as in the English, and when we read these passages, we don't catch some of these significance because the English translation sometimes dilutes some of the words that are used in the Bible in the Greek and the Hebrew. But when... The early church first read this letter. They know who Paul is. They know that he was a Pharisee. They know that, that this word that he chooses to use to set apart himself had way more significance than just the idea of, hey, I'm set apart for the gospel. We're, we're, we're doing this together. But there is a transformation that's happened within this guy. verses 1 to, to 7, I'm set apart for the gospel. Starting in verse 2, he describes what the gospel is. He says, which he promised beforehand through his prophet in the Holy Scriptures, meaning that everything from the Old Testament, remember the New Testament isn't written yet at this time. The only Holy Scripture that they have is Old Testament. The only stories that they have is Old Testament. Everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Every single story, every single prophecy points to Jesus. And so Paul says that the, the prophets beforehand in the Holy Scripture has already talked about this, that his son who was descended from David, this is the humanity of Jesus according to the flesh, was declared to be son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the gospel. The entirety of the Old Testament points to it that God came through the line of David as prophesied, fully human, At the same time, fully God. By the power of His holiness and the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus was resurrected. And that was part of the prophecy of the Old Testament. That is the gospel message. That is His redemption. And Paul reminds his church, this is what you need to know. This is the gospel. This is what you need to rest all of your beliefs on every single thing that you believe, you need to be able to know this is true. You need to be able to put your faith into this place first before anything else that this needs to ring true for you. this is the big idea, this is the cornerstone, this is the grounding thing of the church, this is God's work through Jesus Christ. And what is his work? Is that we as humans, we often experience brokenness. And the brokenness that we feel and the brokenness that we experience in this world is because of our choices. Sometimes it's the choices of others. But in humanity, we have to suffer these consequences of those choices. This is what we call sin. Sin is things that either we have done or things that are done against us. But nothing can take away that sin that the guilt, the shame, the broken hearts, these things are a result of us being separated from God. So in order for God to rescue us, there had to be something that takes on that consequence of sin. And so God says that I will rescue my people. And God sent his son Jesus to die as the penalty of sin. That's the rescue story. That's That's the gospel story. That's the good news. This is the reason the church exists. The church exists because of the work of God through the person of Jesus Christ. And then verse... It continues to say through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. There are two things that we gain from here. One is the obedience of faith. And the second thing is through grace. The obedience of faith is If we want to put it simply, it's just about belief. Faith is trusting in things that you do not see. It is trusting that God loves you. It is knowing that God is there. It is coming to a place where you know that this is beyond yourself and that there is a God out there that loves you and created you and has a plan for you. That we're not an accident. That you exist because you're intentionally made. The faith is you choosing to be in relationship with God. And then grace. Grace is the work that God has done. Grace is the work that God has done so that you can have a relationship with Him. Grace is not earned. It is only given. Grace is what God gives us. This is where the power of the church comes from. Grace is us receiving the gospel and allowing the gospel to change the way that we live. Grace is God extending his righteousness to us and saying, you are no longer sinners, but you are righteous." Grace is is powerful because grace is the love and kindness of God to everyone. And grace empowers the church to be the extension of Jesus for the world to know him. When we experience the grace of God, that's when it changes us. Grace allows us to know that we are forgiven. Grace says that you are loved. Grace says that you are important. Grace gives you the ability to love yourself and to see yourself the way that God sees you. Grace says that you are enough. Grace says that you belong. And grace allows you to see that I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone believes for everyone to believe this is the thesis of the entire book of Romans right here verse 16 and 17 for everyone in here that are Christians believers and followers of Christ the ability to say that I am not of the gospel is for you to know and say that I am able to live out the good story, that I am part of a good story, that Jesus' story is now my story, and that I am not ashamed to live that out. It's to come and say that I am coming into my identity because of the grace that my creator and I am created. That God our Creator teaches me to walk out. That as I receive grace that is given to me, that I could give it to myself and also to others. I find that one of the biggest struggles in the church today is that we are unable to give grace to ourselves. That oftentimes we understand the idea that God gave us grace, and we know that God's forgiveness is on for us, but we are so hard on ourselves. That we are so hard on who we we need to be, and we understand that grace is given to everybody else. We even understand that the grace that God gives us, we need to extend to others. But yet, we can't give that grace to ourselves. And we hold ourselves to the standard where we feel like we need to work out our our salvation, and we need to work out our faith. But God's grace is there. It's given. It's a gift. It's free. I think as a church, we're constantly taught that we need to forgive, or we need to forgive, we need to forgive. We need to 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 mend relationships. We need to do all those things. But when you don't extend that grace to yourself first, you're not going to be able to fully forgive and mend those relationships. You need to come to that place of receiving God's grace. It is in that place that God is able to empower you to do so much more, church. That we are going to be empowered by this aspect of grace that it's no longer us working, but God and Jesus working through us. Because now we understand how God sees us first. When you understand how God sees you, then you understand how God sees others I've met with so many people as a pastor where they are so hard on themselves. So hard on themselves. It breaks my heart because of the fact that I'm just like, God died for you. God died for this, that what you go through, you, yes, there are natural consequences of those things. Yes, you have to live out those consequences. But you can't forgive yourself yet. You can't come to that place of forgiving yourself for either what has been done to you or what you have done to others. That you hold yourself to the standard and the guilt and shame continues to be able to have a hold on your life because you haven't received the grace of God for your own personal life. This theme of grace is very heavy in Romans. We're going to see it in chapter 3, beginning in chapter 3, but from chapter 5 all the way up to um, chapter 8 and then chapter 15. This theme of grace continues to be poured out by Paul. Why? Because he wants you to remember who you are. It's not like Lion King in Mufasa telling his son, <laughs> remember who you are. <laughs> Sometimes when you hear yourself especially from behind you, you're just like <laughs> I believe the power of the church will come from this grace. That God gave us his son. He loved you so much that he gave us this gift. As a church, we need to receive this gift so that we can extend that gift. Right? So that we are able to extend and be who Christ called us to be. Paul calls us to be imitators of Christ, and this is what it means. Imitators of Christ means that we understand the idea of grace that we can extend that grace to others and when others feel that grace, they're going to come to know who God is. Because grace only comes from one place and that place is God. I believe that when we understand what grace is, the church will be much more approachable. Because when we understand what grace is, it's no longer about us versus them. It's about us being for the gospel. And when we're for the gospel, the good news, then it's about us being for them to know the gospel. in the Gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Verse 17. The righteousness of God. You know when you came into Jesus, the righteousness of God came upon you. That you are no longer seen as sinners, but seen as righteous. And that righteousness continues to build up your faith because the righteous shall live by faith. So in our time within Romans we will continue to unpack this righteousness from our faith and this grace that is given. Through this gospel story of God through Jesus this is the good news for the church but it empowers the church to live out the story of God for everyone. My hopes as we go through this is that you have moments in which God speaks to you and how you are to relate to him, how you are to relate to yourself and how you are to relate to the church. The church in Romans had a little bit of a mentality of us versus them. We also have that. We have this mentality of the church versus the world. But God (laughs) says it's not a versus game. It's not pitting one thing over another, but a story of how God, through grace, makes what is wrong right again. It is about redeeming what is taken away and is about God's righteousness for the world. This is the book of Romans. And I'm excited for this new season for us as a church to go through it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for this book. We thank you for the scripture that you have given us through Paul. Lord, let, let, let this be an encouragement to the church. Let us be grace receivers and grace givers. So Father God, we ask for your grace to be upon this church. We ask for your mercy to to sweep over us. We ask for your love to be poured into our lives so that we are your church that brings glory to who you are. So Lord, we worship you. We give all praise to you and honor to you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.